0: Friends, we turn now to our sermon this morning. and We're continuing in our series called Keep the Change. It is, as you might expect from a title like that, a stewardship series. And there are some elements of worship that have remained this Sunday that we also had last Sunday and we'll see again next week that are helping to ground us in what we're exploring and working through. That is that gospel passage about where our hearts, our treasure is, there are hearts shall be also, and that song about seeking first the kingdom of God is a reminder as we go throughout all of this that the question of what we do with what we have is not tangential to the faith. It is not an extra above and beyond peace to Christian living, but it is a fundamental and core part of who we are and how we live. What we do with what we have is how we live our faith. The two cannot be separated. Where our treasure is, there our hearts shall be also. And if we seek first the kingdom of God, we will seek it with all that we are and all that we have. And as we live into practices of generosity, of giving, we find that it creates change. This is the change that we're looking to hang on to as we give away financial change. There are changes that remain. And last week we talked about those in us, about how giving is good, for us, and is an opportunity for us to take part in the joyous and wonderful work that God is doing. This week we'll be taking a look at the change that it creates in a community, about how being a generous community shapes us in powerful ways. And the next week we'll be looking about how giving changes transforms the entire world. Let us begin with prayer. Almighty God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable unto you, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Have you ever gotten stuck in a sales pitch? I'm guessing that you have. A few weeks ago, I found myself in a position like that. I had called the customer service line of a store where I shop. And while I was waiting for a representative to get on the line, I made the mistake of listening to the pre-recorded message that they played. See, the message told me that I had been selected for a special program that offered free oil changes and car repairs. And I thought that sounded pretty good. So against my better judgment, I was curious. I see I have a paid membership of the store, so it really sounded like maybe something I could get for free. And I've been surprised by the services they had before. And so when it said, if you'd like to learn more, press one, I pressed one. There were immediate telltale signs that I had just agreed to hear a sales pitch, though I didn't realize it at first. I was immediately connected to a live human being who cheerfully greeted me, which should have told me something. Customer service representatives are never that quick to answer the phone. And she immediately asked my name and then proceeded to use my name in every sentence she spoke from that point on. She said, thank you, Dylan. I have a few more questions for you, Dylan. And there was a phalanx of questions that followed, all while I still didn't know the actual product that was being offered to me or was being sold to me, as it turned out, because eventually it became clear. They were trying to reach me about my car's extended warranty. The free oil changes and the car repairs were only free after I paid into their warranty program for a monthly fee. I figured it out only when the sales representative on the phone was suddenly quoting me a monthly price and said, now, how is it you would like to pay, Dylan? And I blurted out, wait, I thought this was free. And it was not. It was at least not free in the way that I expected. But by then, there was no easy way out. I tried to decline. Politely at first, but the sales representative was insistent. She refused to let me go. She countered my every point by returning to a single possible scenario that someday in the future, something on my car would break and it would leave me with an impossibly expensive bill that I wouldn't have to pay if only I just paid them their price every month starting now until whenever that day would be. And eventually I lost my polite veneer and I just said there was nothing that she could say, nothing that she could do that would get me to sign up. So would she please just let me off the phone? And so she did relent eventually, though not without a final reminder that if my car needed a costly repair, it was on me and have a nice day. And I hung up and then realized I'd never actually talked to a customer service representative about the question that had prompted the call in the first place. And so I called again. And this time, when I heard the pre-recorded message, I didn't press anything. Nobody wants to be manipulated into buying something that they don't want or don't need. And with such an abundance of advertising and marketing in our world, even when so much of it is honest and forthright, well, we have become savvy consumers We know how important it is to see past the tactics as we evaluate where we spend our money because we want to be careful stewards of what we have and not those who spend frivolously and leave nothing for the future. For even though I didn't believe in the product, the technique of this sales representative who regaled me on the phone was not without merit. She was working very hard at tapping into a core human concern that if we're not careful we won't have enough for the future. This is the fear of scarcity, of seeing that there are limited resources in the world. And so thinking that if we don't get there fast enough and take enough before everyone else takes their share, well, then there may not be enough left for us. In this passage from 2 Corinthians, Paul is careful to avoid the manipulative sales tactics, and he deals practically with the fear of scarcity. I'm not giving in order, he says to the Corinthians. I'm not giving in order. I'm giving you my opinion about this. Because Paul doesn't want the Corinthians to hear any of this passage as though he is forcing or guilting or manipulating or coercing them to give. It's not an order. It's his opinion and an invitation And as should always be the case in the church, gifts are to be given freely as God gives freely. Now, this is particularly important considering Paul's relationship with the Corinthians. We got a sense of this last week in the scripture when Paul first asked the Corinthians for money. See, Paul had helped establish the church in Corinth, but they've had a bit of a fracture in their relationship. This whole letter is an effort to reestablish their good standing with one another. That's why this is 2 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is a very different tone because they were in a very different place. But here in 2 Corinthians, Paul is trying to remind the Corinthians that they really do like him, and he really does love them. But even so, as he is trying to piece back together their relationship, he does not refrain from asking for money. He has a project that is near and dear to his heart. Paul is asking churches all over to help support the poor, the saints of Jerusalem. And so as the text tells us, the Corinthians were very excited about this last year. They were really excited about getting a lot of money together and giving it to the poor in Jerusalem last year, but now their excitement has waned, and so Paul finds it put upon his heart to ask them again, to renew their energy, to go back to the task, to fulfill it, to finish it out like they said they were going to. And in the passage immediately preceding this one, he lifts up the Macedonian church and says, look at how generous they are. They've given such a good gift And I'm a little bit worried that when the representatives take that gift from Macedonia and then they come to Corinth on their way to Jerusalem, it's going to be embarrassing for everybody when that church way out gives you. He's not trying to guilt them. Again, this is not an order, just his opinion. He's just trying to say there's this opportunity for them to give. And then this week, he moves a little bit in tactics from the individual and the call to give and what a joy it is to participate in that giving to the community. And he talks about scarcity. And particularly, he deals with the fear that giving too much would leave us with too little. He says the goal here is not to give so that you are suddenly the economically needy one, the financially dependent one. It's not to give so much that you have nothing left but you've got a surplus and give from the surplus. The goal here is equality. And at the present moment, things are not equal. He says, you have a surplus, Jerusalem has a deficit, and so we would like to equalize it by taking the extra you have and giving it to those who have too little. But Paul doesn't just consider the present. Not just how things are, he looks also to the future and in that we get a glimpse of how he sees the kingdom of God working. He says, right now you have the surplus and they have the deficit, but in the future it may be that they will have the surplus and you the deficit. And so what freely flows today in one direction will flow the opposite direction then. The kingdom of God is a vibrant living thing where resources are flowing and moving from where they are to where they are needed. And it's not a one-way path, but a cycle that captures us all and is forever striving and moving and reaching for the equality, which is a core part of how the kingdom of God is to be set. And Paul ties all of this up with a story of Jesus. In fact, the entire story of the gospel, he says, look at how Jesus became poor for us to become rich. Look at how this whole process began, how the resources flowed out from Jesus to all of us. Now we are called to be like Jesus and to do the same for one another in a constant moving cycle of giving and receiving, of receiving and giving of sharing amongst the community, the kingdom of God. Our fear so often is that we won't have enough. And so we try to accumulate enough. And then we give from our excess. But this is rarely a successful thing for us to do because what even is enough? Parker Palmer, who is a fantastic theologian and thinker, said once that we create the very scarcities that we fear. He said, if I hoard material goods, others will have too little and I will never have enough. The very act of hoarding, of taking and hanging on to things for our own sake, shifts the way that we look at what we have and at what we think we need. And so it creates the mindset of scarcity. By participating in the ever-flowing, ever-moving flow of resources in the kingdom of God, we allow ourselves to see better what we need and how we can rely on one another. The ancient Christian church, as captured in a number of the early church theologians, was unified in this thought that those who have too much have an obligation to give it to those who have too little. And they pull no punches about it. John Chrysostom said, the rich are in possession of the goods of the poor, even if they have acquired them honestly or inherited them legally. Ambrose of Milan said, you are not making a gift of your possessions to the poor person. You are handing over to him what is his. Basil of Caesarea said, the bread in your cupboard belongs to the hungry man. The coat hanging in your closet belongs to the man who needs it. The shoes rotting in your closet belong to the man who has no shoes. The money which you put into the bank belongs to the poor. In the community that Paul invites us to create, the, that excess which we have is not ours to give, but it is those who need it. It is their possession that we are hanging on to. And so we are called to let go of that, to give it to them so that we might participate equally in the kingdom and the community of God. Paul ties this all together with a quote from the Old Testament. He talks about how those who gathered too much didn't have too much, and those who gathered too little didn't have too little. It's a quote from the Exodus, the book of Exodus and the actual Exodus. When the Israelites were in the desert and they were hungry and there wasn't enough food and God said, I will give you food. And every day, except for Sunday, manna rained down from the heavens and they collected it. And every day there was enough, never too little and never too much, always enough. It seems impossible to say that the world has enough for all of us, that if we were to lean into equality, if we were to share, that there really would be enough for all of us, wouldn't someone be left wanting? It sounds miraculous to even imagine that that could be the case, but I suppose miraculous is rather the business that we're in. We are a continuation of the story of the people of the Exodus who said there will never be enough to eat out here in the desert. And God said, yes, there will be. Never too much and never too little. All you have to do is share it amongst yourselves. And so too today the miracle continues in the communities that God forms and the community the, across the globe that God draws us into. There is enough if only we trust one another to care for each other. We trust one another to give the excess we have so that one day when we are in need, it will flow right back to us. And this is what we do in so many ways in the church. When one is in need of prayer, we pray, knowing that when we are in need of prayer, others will pray for us. When one among us is sick, do we not care for the sick? Do we not attend to them, bring them food, support them? And do we not also rely on one another to do the same when we are sick? Do we not put together what we have to establish this community in this place, in a building, Because we want to worship here, but also we know that we want it to be here for others. So that when someone from the community dies, we will hold their services. We will welcome in the grieving and the mourning, knowing that when we grieve and we mourn, this place will be here for us as well. Do we not establish ministries that reach out to others knowing that when we are in need we can turn to the very same place. We have always been, and the Christian church always has been, a place where we rely on each other. And so what Paul does is invites us simply to take everything we have and to put it into that and say, what can we give? Not so much that we're destitute, not enough that it leaves us homeless and penniless on the street, but enough that those who have needs today can find their needs met, so that tomorrow, when I might be in need, the community will be here for me as well. There is an old preacher's story, one of those stories that must have happened somewhere in some church at some time, though no one could tell you at which church or at what time, of a man who came up for his church's stewardship moment, in a series when they were talking about giving to the church, and he told his story. He said that when he was a boy, he had just a single dollar. And he had come to church with that single dollar in his pocket, and he had heard an invitation to give to the work of God. And so he took that single dollar, the only dollar that he had, and he gave it to the work of God. And he said that he knew because he had done that, God had blessed him throughout the rest of his life. He had been wildly successful, and now in that day, standing before his congregation, he says, I am a millionaire because God has blessed me so deeply, because I gave all that I had to the work of God. And there was just this joyous spirit in the congregation. He went and he sat back down. And an older woman sitting in the pew in front or behind him, Leaned over and she said to him, I dare you to do it again. The goal of giving, the change we're looking for, is not something that comes back to us in such abundance that we never have to worry about anything again. It is not the goal to be so financially set for the rest of our lives that we need nobody else and nothing else because we have so much in our bank account. That man had enough for his own financial security, but who else's financial security had he deposited into his own bank account? The goal is not to have everything we need for ourselves, but to look to the community that God is creating around us and say, how do we invest it in that community together? So we might rely on one another. We might be there for one another in times of excess and of scarcity. How can we be a community together? Paul says to the Corinthians, this isn't a command. Just giving you my opinion. There's no obligation, no guilt, just the invitation to consider the joy it would be To live in a community like that. Thank God. We are in a community like that. Amen.